Justin Gaethje by finish at plus 175. Welcome back to uh, betting hour with the (laughs) (laughs) fight site MMA analysts. Myself, Dan Martin, and Serum, my co-host as always. Hello, the betting hour is for you, Gugabe. (laughs) Yeah, because that is so what we do and what we're we're good at. Um, Not exactly. But we are going to take a trip down memory lane today, Serum and I. Uh, and our topic for this week's discussion is picks that we got wrong. Like, just over the years, we've made tons and tons of picks. We've both been wrong many times, as is the nature of what we do as analysts. Um, and so we're going to pick out a few, a few fights that we call just famously wrong. And it is going to be... We're going to see if there's any merit to the analysis that we had, if there was any value to, to how we looked at the fight, what in our analysis, you know, what sort of caused us to pick the fights the way we did, what colored our analysis, and if there was anything in the analysis that actually came true later on. You know, were there any, like, were there any grains of value in our sea of failure <laughs> that uh, has just washed over us and in these <laughs> trying times as an analyst. Um, so I'm excited because we're going to be able to make fun of each other. That's always fun. Our fans are going to be able to make fun of us for our just terrible pick accuracy. Um, not exactly. But I am excited for this because it's forced me to think back about some fights, consider some fights that I hadn't thought about before. Um, in a different light when you go back and watch a fight after the fact as an analyst, um, no matter how you picked it. So I will start off, I will kick off the shame boat. Um, <laughs> my most famous wrong picks, uh, I picked Jose Aldo to beat Max Holloway at UFC 212. I mean, that doesn't seem too bad. I can't really make fun of you for that one because I think a lot of people did. So starting off positively. That was, but, but that was before Aldo was sort of when we re, when we knew he was like way on the downturn, and that was before yeah. I think a lot of us, including myself, realized just how good Max Holloway was. Um, like what kind of fighter he was. Maybe I just was late to the party. I don't know. Um, I was really convinced that. Aldo was going to be tough for, for Aldo. And in some ways he was. Aldo was going to be tough for Max. And in some ways he was. Um, because I think that there were there were nuggets to what I said that were true. Like I said that Aldo was the... You know, I thought he was a better defensive fighter in the pocket. I thought he could probably out-jab Max to some degree. I thought that Max would have a tough time getting his volume going because Aldo was so predicated on defense. And a big thing that colored my analysis was that I thought Aldo would be able to work the leg kicks and kind of break down Max's mobility. I think Max was a more mobile fighter at that point in his career. Um, and I was I was just thinking that if he tries to just sort of enter heavy on his lead leg, Aldo was just going to kick him on the way in, pivot out, and just kind of just kind of break down break down and deny comfort in Max's most preferred area. Uh, 
that wasn't entirely incorrect. Uh, some of that wasn't entirely untrue. Like, I, you know, in the fight, Aldo was having success, you know, counter-jabbing with Max. Um, the leg kicks were not as big a factor as I thought because Max was able to sort of circle away from them. He actually tried to counter. And this is something that, I don't know if we talk about it enough with Aldo, but he's a fighter who, if he's worried about something coming back at him, like if he's, you know, if his opponent makes him think about something, he's a lot more likely to just shelf the thing that he has to think about than he is to sort of, sort of work it back into the fight, if that makes sense. So with yeah. Aldo, with the leg kicks, he saw that and was like, okay, he's ready for the leg kicks. I guess I can't throw the leg kicks. So I'm better off not throwing them just so, you know, his his prepared counters are out of the way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think, I mean, it's one thing. Aldo's been moving away from the leg kicks for quite a while, and I've always thought that they were kind of overstated in terms of how much they made him a good fighter because a lot of what, like, it's pretty, it's been popular narrative probably because of joe rogan and stuff they're like oh yeah his leg kicks were like they're what made him so scary and that's kind of not true at all but against holloway it would have helped if he were a bit more i don't want to say reckless but a bit more willing to like work around the counter than to just not throw them anymore but yeah i mean i think it's a pretty solid way to look at it like going back at the time i mean even if you look at the fight like jeremy stevens max holloway got kicked a bit and uh, although he's Volume has generally not been the path to beating Aldo, at least at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't really say that that's a bad pick, just one that didn't work out. And like, there's a difference between those two, I think. Oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I still don't think it was a bad. It, it, maybe this is just, I'm not trying to give our audience a moral lesson, but for me at least, as an analyst, it was, I don't tend to feel too bad about picking fights wrong if I learned something as an analyst from it. And I learned a lot from picking that fight. I learned, you know, picking fights based on trajectory. I learned about, like, you know, it, it, I learned about sort of... I was building up this sort of case in my head of all these reasons why Aldo would be tough for Max, and I never really considered the fact that not all of those reasons were going to be created equal, if that makes sense. So, just because... Aldo can out-jab Max in, you know, at points, which he did. Just because Aldo can have success with leg kicks, which he did, especially in the rematch, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, the broader question, which was just, who can dictate the engagements? And the answer was obviously Max. Aldo could not, he just couldn't scare Max off. He couldn't force Max to limit his, to limit his volume. And so... Max just sort of kept initiating and Aldo was forced to react over and over and over and eventually they just wore him down. Like, even if it was, you know, even if some of those engagements were hairy for Max early, he knew that he could, he could last in them late and Aldo couldn't. Um, and I learned that I, that was a big, that was a very valuable lesson for me as an analyst um, was the difference between like reading a fight versus building a case for a fighter. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Aldo Holloway is a good example of when a pick is justified versus when it's right. Because, I mean, a lot of what we saw from Max that night, like even just in terms of like physical attributes, not obviously not the cardio. We knew he had that. But Aldo's always been such a monstrous puncher that he could just back guys off with, oh, excuse me, with like the first counter he lands like clean, which is why his fights were so, you know, commanding at times. And then we look at Max, who just kind of tanks them and like, you know, I can eat these and keep going. And that's something that we couldn't have really expected. So, you know, it was a justified pick moving into it, but out of it, it seemed kind of odd, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think so. And again, it wasn't like, it wasn't entirely without merit. I think there were a lot of things that that Volkanovski picked up on and in terms of controlling engagements with Max and in terms of working kicks. Like, there were there were shreds there that were true, and there were there was certainly value to, to that lesson. It's just that ended up being a... It ended up being a... A, a bad pick that was also unfortunately like the first piece of fight analysis I ever tried, which was a bit of a hit to my credibility to start out with, but I have since graduated from Reddit, so I am less worried about that now. Surum <laughs> What is I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it over to you, brother. What what is our, our first bad pick? Uh, I'm going to start with the one that probably made me the most sad, which is uh, Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. It's a recent one. And, uh, I knew we were going to talk about this. That was incredibly depressing. I mean, I figure it, it makes sense because, uh, one, you had that piece on Adesanya as a whole and also how he screwed up everything Whitaker did, which, you know, it, it pretty much made the case better than I could. But the reason that I picked Whitaker going in was that the Gastelum fight was kind of messy. And, yep. I mean, it's kind of like in retrospect it's weird because Whitaker and Gastelum are pretty different but I think that kind of oversimplified it at the time maybe or maybe it's just Whitaker didn't show up how I thought he would it's probably a mixture of the two but the way I thought of it was Gastelum was able to cover distance on Adesanya pretty worryingly at least in the later rounds he got chewed up at range obviously and he only had a couple moments but the way that I looked at it was if Calvin Gastelum could close Adesanya down so easily, and Adesanya at the time, at least. Against Gastelum, a lot of his defense was framing off and uh, kind of backing up, looking for the uh, the counter. Like uh, Gastelum would kind of like square up moving forward. Adesanya would just hop back and counter him with the straight, and that's a lot of what he did as Gastelum moved forward. So I figured that if Adesanya was going to default to that against Robert Whitaker, it would be tough against such a, a boxer who was way better at working around guards, a more versatile boxer, one who was comparably fast, comparably a puncher. And it kind of didn't work out because Adesanya came in looking A, better than he ever had, and B, more prepared than he did against Gastelum for Whitaker specifically. So, I mean, I think it's another thing about picking fights based on trajectory. It's something that I tend to ignore more than I should because, you know, it's like momentum picks. They tend to work out in retrospect a lot and even moving into them. But it's, it's just bizarre to go, he's winning a lot, so he'll win this yeah. one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing to rationalize, but it works more than it should. I'm actually glad you brought this up, because I, I think this is a valuable one to talk about as well. And I, because I picked Adesanya, but I didn't, while I am proud that I got that right, I also can't take an enormous amount of credit for it, because I don't feel like I read anything in the fight itself that correctly. Um like in terms of the like the shape of the fight. I think Sir agrees with me when we say that we tend to like getting the shape of a fight 
right more than we like getting the pick right. We'd rather sure. I'd ra I'd rather make I'd rather get a sense of how the dynamics of a fight play out and get the actual, you know, fighter incorrect than just pick someone and, you know, on a certain amount of blind faith even if the fight's completely different from how how I see it. Yeah. Um with Adesanya Whitaker, I I felt like that was a bit of a I think Phil McKenzie talked about it. It was a bit of a trap fight for analysts because I don't, from what I saw, I didn't see, I'm not sure I saw anybody pick that fight or anybody like call the dynamics of that fight correctly. Like I didn't see anybody talking about how Adesanya was going to break the line of Whitaker's attack or how he was going to, you know, intercept Whitaker's, opening strike in all of his combinations. I didn't see people... <laughs> I didn't see that as the discussion point. I didn't see that Adesanya was going to sort of come in with prepared counters, because, you know, Izzy is not, at his core, he's not a counterpuncher, um, even though he he was able to to counter hook with Whitaker and, and knock him out. Like, that fight felt like a bit of a trap, because we had things like defense in the pocket... And we had pace, which we thought was going to be close. And there was the the boxing edge, which I think most people would still probably agree Whitaker has. Um, but it wasn't... It, it didn't matter because the context of the fight was entirely dictated by Adesanya. And so while that was... yeah, Like, I think a lot of people got that wrong, but I don't... I think that one's a, a tricky one to fight and a tricky one to pick. And it might be, I don't want to jinx it, but we it, we might have a similar discussion, Sreeram, when we eventually talk about Gaethje Khabib. Because yeah. I think that's another fight that can be, is going to be, it's a little bit of a trap for analysts. Like, you know, one fighter has a lot of the things that you'd like to see to beat the opponent, but whether or not that you're still kind of picking it on a, like a bit of a there's a lot of factors that you're sort of expecting or that you're 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 picking based on even though you don't have a lot of information and in terms of lessons from that fight like when we talk about Whitaker Till I'm like I've been thinking a lot about that fight the last couple of days and I'm I'm still not really sure how I read it because it's I feel like however how you read Adesanya or Whitaker's loss to Adesanya is probably going to dictate how you read you know, you read into an analysis with Whitaker Till. It's like, was this just a confluence of one really bad matchup? Was this, like, the sort of... The point at which Whitaker's career, you know, finally takes a downturn from all his injuries? Is it somewhere in between? Um, and in that sense, like... It's... I feel like it's a whole nother kind of... Another challenging discussion. And, like, a bit of a trap. So that's a hard one. That was a hard one to pick. And I, I can't even, to, to wrap this up, all I can really say is I picked Adesanya on less of a, it was less of, like, pure faith in Adesanya. It was more a feeling of, like, we might be overestimating Whitaker. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was kind of what educated my pick. That's it. Yeah, I think, because I agree, I think a lot of what 
um, we thought about Whitaker Adesanya was a question of who got the range that they wanted because we were like, oh yeah, Whitaker, he got kicked up a bit by like Rafael Natal and he got kicked a bit by Yo Romero even in the rematch to like knock him out of position and stuff. So if he stays at kicking range, Adesanya is probably going to have his way. And if Whitaker is able to push in on him, then Whitaker is probably going to have his way because Gastelum did that. And Gastelum right. didn't quite have his way, but he had more success than we'd want him to have. So that was kind of the question going in. And then it turned out Adesanya just had answers. He had answers for how Whitaker would enter, and he had answers for how to just get an advantage in the pocket without actually being better in the pocket, which is – it was it was a brilliant fight. And I think moving forward, I think we could still say that a lot of what we thought about Whitaker going in was correct. For example, mm-hmm. a lot of what we said about Whitaker was that he was defensively incredible. And it was – it's kind of rough to justify in retrospect because he did get hurt a lot and got knocked out. But on entry, Adesanya still couldn't time him all that much. It was when Whitaker would extend exchanges more than he should. Right. And he got a bit reckless and frustrated. And then it's it's kind of rough to say that Whitaker's not defensively good based on that. Now, in terms of Adesanya, I think you could say if – like. We said before the fight that Adesanya is not as comfortable in the pocket as many people think for, like, an elite kickboxer. Yep. And Whitaker seemed to uh, disprove that a bit. But then we got to Romero, where he couldn't really initiate with a powerful counter threat. So the thought yeah. process wasn't necessarily wrong. It was just Whitaker. Yeah, there's still, like, there's, the still, there's still a lot of truth in that, right? And, like... You know, after those, you know, if you look at the the Whitaker fight and the Romero fight, like we know now a lot more about Adesanya than we did before. Um, it's like this. It's always a challenging kind of. This is always a challenging game, like because, and and we'll talk about this later on with uh, you know, even though Serum and I picked this fight correctly, uh, Gaethje versus Ferguson, we'll talk about it, it framing it as we can be right and wrong in the same night. In the same pick, we can we can have correct analysis and incorrect analysis at the same time. So that's I don't want to rule that out. Um, I think yeah I I think we should put a put a pin in in Whitaker for a bit because I think we'll have a lot to say when the till fight comes around. But I think that I knew we were going to discuss that one, and I think that's a it's a good it was a good lesson fight. Like even you know even I who I got it right and I still like didn't didn't walk away with feeling like I had called it brilliantly or anything. It was just, I I just sort of picked on momentum and that was it. Um, all right. My next wrong pick. Well, this one's, this one's a bit of a bummer. Uh, <laughs> Joe Benavidez versus Davison Figueredo. Oh yeah. Um, and one that I was quite wrong about and, uh, am I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Uh, <laughs> when the, useless predatory rematch rolls around um we covered this fight on the show didn't did we not yeah we did it yeah was a great episode um yeah and it was a great fight while it lasted it was short but it was badass yep um they were they were throwing hammers it was fun um yeah so i like i think some of this can be attributed to to age and ring rust but not all of it i i do want to i do want to say that figurato <clears throat> Figueredo was actually able to track Benavidez a lot easier than I thought he would. Um, it did help that Figueredo just has, you know, there's no other way to put it. He just has elite physicality um, for, for sure. the, divi- the divisions he's in. And he, there were some shots he could afford to take that Joe couldn't. Um, 
I thought that Figueredo did a lovely job cutting off Joe's exits with body shots that looked like they would have dropped featherweights. <laughs> um, I think that Joe is... I think that Joe is a very good striker. There's no Joe is a formerly great MMA fighter. I'm not taking anything away from him, but a lot of his striking comes in ideas, as as Ryan pointed out. Like he doesn't faint as much as he needs to. He he doesn't he he tends to commit, and when he commits r- really hard, he you know he often builds on those commitments. As as Zach Makovsky said when he was when he fought Joe, it was like he was surprised how you know exchanges started going from three punches to four punches to five to six to seven and he kind of didn't even realize what was happening um so that was a that was a dumb pick uh i do i think that there is a world in which joe b could you know figure davison out over five rounds sure uh but it was a it was maybe a bit of a risky pick that late into a fighter's career and and knowing what we know about figurato it kind of these things have a tendency to just sort of go one way um you picked it right though and uh, i applaud you for that yeah this is one where i took a page out of your book honestly on the trajectory stuff yeah. yeah i mean to be fair figurato didn't have a ton he was like two fights off the formiga fight no, but, but he was, like, even the Formigo fight wasn't some, like, momentum-shattering loss. It, he kind of got, he just got figured out by a really crafty older fighter. He was still, you know, he still, like, chewed through Tim Elliott and then just blasted, you know, Pantoja over three rounds. Like, it was, I don't think anyone was looking at Figueredo like he was, he didn't have the momentum, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was that since Joe's uh, return, he had, like, the layoff before the Pettis fight. It was, I think, the one that I kept coming back to in that one, and I think that's a problem that a lot of us have, where we, like, overestimate the influence of certain fights. Uh, that's what I did with Adesanya Gastelum, for example. But this one, I think it's one that I lucked onto, in a sense, is um, mm-hmm. Joe B versus Sergio Pettis, which yeah. is that... Benavidez, like, you could attribute that to ring rust, too, right? He was off, like, a two-year layoff. But a lot of what he did in that fight, it just wouldn't really work with a comfortable counterpuncher like Sergio Pettis. Because Sergio Pettis, he kind of, he jabbed at uh, Joe, and Joe eventually figured that fight out. He, like, extended exchanges, started kicking him. He wrestled him, not super effectively, but fairly effectively. But you still had that massive counter threat which is, you know, when Joe B squared up and moved forward for his combinations, figure it, um, Sergio would just cut him off at the pass. And my thought was, Figueredo is a comfortable counterpuncher. He's a very, very counterpuncher. He's a powerful counterpuncher. And that's something that he has in spades over Sergio Pettis. So overall, I just couldn't see how, if Figueredo fought the right fight, Joe B would be able to avoid that for too long. And it was yep. one that I hedged on a lot, because I figured if it went longer than a bit, Figueredo would just get out thought. But it didn't go long enough for that. Mm-hmm. And that was wise. Um, I think I think I actually kind of made the mistake of, like, I saw Joe's performances against Alex Perez, which is a win that's probably going to continue to age well for him, um, now that I think about it. Uh, the Dustin Ortiz fight, the... What was his last one? Formiga. Yeah, when he beat Formiga again, when Formiga was on his streak, like... And I was like, well, Joe looked really great in those fights. Maybe maybe it was just kind of an off night, which is something that even Serum and I sometimes make mistakes on, that that's sometimes fighters just have off nights and there may not be a ton more to it. Like it was 
but it, it, I don't think it was in isolation. I think you're right. You were, you nailed that. Um, and I think that we both are going to have a uh, a mutual pick the next time we cover that fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, it's kind of just we saw Joe look kind of not not baffled. He he definitely had some success, but he looked frustrated. He looked old. Yeah. He looked old. Yeah. Like I think Figueredo, he fought a terrific fight in terms of pushing Joe back hard. The cutting off with body shots, as you said, he had a lovely uh, little straight right hand that he used. Uh, it was just like he he was he used to throw like big counter uppercuts and stuff, but at this point it was just tiny little short right straights to run Joe onto them. It was just, it was a very simple, proficient performance. And I think, I don't know whether Joe can last long enough to outthink Figueredo this time. Yeah, I kind of doubt it. I, I don't really know why that fight's being made. And as much as I like Figueredo, I think you probably agree with me that it seems a little predatory. Yeah, Moreno and, and Perez are probably they're right there. Why don't they just do Perez? Perez would be fun. Perez Figueredo yeah. would be awesome. Okay, anyway, this isn't about the matchmaking. Sorry. Um, what is your everything? Yeah, it's true. We can't <laughs> escape it. Sriram, what is your second bad pick that you made? Uh, this one, it's another saddening one, but maybe for different reasons. It's uh, Hanato Moicano and the Korean Zombie, because oh, shit. I think yeah, yeah, <laughs> I forgot that about was... that. That was gross. I think, because uh, I mean, even even going into it, I think there was a lot yeah. to be concerned about, and I don't know how many people even got that right, because I if you remember, yeah, like if you remember going into it, it was um, zombie off the Yair fight, which he probably would have won given one more second, but it was still a really really ugly fight from him. Um, it was a lot of you know sprinting forward with combinations. And getting kicked up on the outside a bit when he waited on the outside. And Moicano, he's, in theory at least, he's kind of built to take those kinds of fighters apart. And Moicano wasn't, he was off the Aldo loss. And it's hard to take a ton away from that because it's Aldo who can't be kicked and who kind of can't be outboxed in his prime. But, and that wasn't his prime, but he looked fairly solid outside of just oh, a couple of initial problems. Yeah. Yeah, like he didn't do a ton, but he looked good defensively and he, hurt Moicano pretty early. So I think it's just an example of a fight just not going long enough for what we want to see happen, happen. Because Zombie, as it turned out, he just countered the first jab, and that was it. It Sometimes that... Not only is it just sometimes that happens, it's just sometimes physical attributes matter more than the technical details behind them. And I think it was... I don't know whether it goes the same way again, but I think it's a danger that I overlooked going into it. I that was a that was a strange one because that still does feel a little bit like a it still feels like a kind of low percentage outcome. I'm not saying it's a fluke. Like I don't think it was I don't at all think it was a fluke. I mean, Zombie knew exactly what he was trying to do. It's just I don't know how many cross counters that Zombie's hit, like how many jabs he's baited, cross-countered, and then immediately just crushed the person off it. Like, I don't know how often he does that. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but that seems to be like, like Zombie as a, as a power puncher seems to be a bit more of a later career development for him. Um, so that was, you know, that, that was strange. Uh, but I, that's another one, like, I can't, I can't fault you too much for that one. He, like, I also thought that 
Moicano was probably going to be able to strand Zombie at range. He's longer. I thought he'd be, our, you know, he's he is a better kicker than Yair. He's, you know, a less dynamic one. He's a less mobile one, but he's he's better at it. Um, so that was a, that was another weird one. Um, and I remember when it happened, like I I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, I did I did kind of feel like, God, poor Moicano. Like this was <laughs> that was just the <laughs> main event slot. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a bummer. Like he's he's still he's obviously a very good he's a very good fighter, and like that was it. Kind of got it. Just kind of felt like he was done dirty a bit. Like I don't know how many other times if you ran that fight back ten times, I don't know how many of those end in him getting just cross countered and decked. I mean, we can probably assess that Moicano is not the most durable fighter on the roster um he's not maybe not the most mentally you know not the most mentally tough fighter either but still like that was a it was a strange outcome again not going to call it a fluke but it did feel somewhat low percentage i don't think it was quite as like low percentage as edgar mendez or something like that but it felt it was a little it felt a little bit like I don't know how replicable that moment would be over time. Especially yeah. and now that like Moicano has sort of had that loss, I don't know how many other times it would happen. I don't I know. I mean, I think like one thing about Moicano is he's not obviously he's not very defensively he's not defensively good past his jab, but it was the kind of thing where if he had some time to establish the jab and Mo- and Zombie hadn't just like had a beat on the very first one. It would have been a bit rougher because, you know, Moicano would have started fainting and, like, playing with him. And I think the longer the fight goes, it would have just been a lot harder for KG to find the counter that he needed. And even in terms of mental strength, like, um, if you look at a fight like Ortega-Moicano, where Ortega was, like, you know, he was invincible and, like, marching into body shot combos and stuff. I don't know whether Zombie would have been able to cover distance that way or last in that kind of fight getting kicked up on the outside. It's just, it's a... I think it only goes that way if it ends in the time frame it did. But the fact that it did can't be ignored. Yep, I agree. Um, you know what? I'm disappointed. I thought I was going to have, like, more. These aren't, I don't think any of these are, like, really, like, indefensible picks. Oh, I was expecting there to be. Lost. Oh, you got one? Okay, cool. All right, well, then I'll, I'll give you my, I'll give you my pick, um, my third wrong pick. Which was actually fairly recent. Um, not quite as recent as, as the Figueredo fight, but I picked Colby Covington over Kamaro Usman. Uh, and I can... Uh, this is not to, like, try to shoulder some blame or anything, but I think some of that was that everybody on staff was picking Usman, and I remember the last couple times we did that, we've looked like idiots, because if we're wrong... <laughs> And so I was like, I, I was kind of hedging on just the fight site's reputation by picking Colby. Um, but the bigger part of me was thinking that I just didn't know how Usman was going to look if he was, A, forced to sort of just, you know, throw an open space. Like, I, I know that Usman is a better striker than Colby, but I know also know that Colby is very willing and he's fearless and he's he throws a lot of volume and he doesn't tire and he also isn't really easily backed up and so i was thinking like in that sort of fight how much faith do i have in usman and if especially if usman like 
can Usman get his wrestling and his clinch game going in open space? Um, it it wasn't like I didn't think that Covington was going to be a bad matchup for Kamaru Usman. I thought he was going to. I just thought that Covington was going to be a foil for Usman, and that he probably would have won on pace and activity. Is that such a bad pick? I don't know. Maybe it is. What do you think? No, I don't think so. I think the way that I'd put it is because I think a lot of questions in that fight weren't answered because the biggest ones were how do the wrestling and the clinch match up? And I think yeah, Usman we still don't really know. Yeah, like we didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, I think Usman would have won those wide. The way I'd put it is, if I was told before the fight that Kamaru Usman would fight in space, he wouldn't really try to wrestle, he wouldn't really try to clinch, who would win that fight? I think I might be in Covington because, like, a lot of it was Covington. For all his flaws, he's initiative personified. And I think that's one thing that you do a good job picking fights on, which is who dictates things better. And I think Usman, even if you look back to fights like Mayo, for instance, where like there were times where he just kind of got hit and didn't look particularly comfortable. Covington, for all his flaws, he's very comfortable in the exchange. He's comfortable pushing a pace on the feet. And even if I said, you know, he doesn't have the safety net of the clinch like he did against Robbie Lawler, for example, I think I'd be like, oh, yeah, Covington just enforces a pace, he outworks him. Even if he takes the harder shots, he wins on points because that's how judges work. And, like, it's just... It worked out in a way where Usman looked not more comfortable, but his punishment caught up more quickly than I think it could have if Covington fought the fight that he usually does. Covington just fought a bit more cautiously than I think I expected. Yeah, and I, like... I actually think that that fight said good things about Kamaru Usman's prospects as a champion. Even though it wasn't the fight that we were expecting from him, um, I thought it spoke to his, again, his preparation. It's like, he looks like a fighter who does a lot of hard sparring. Uh, he's well, not... Three, six, five. That's right, dude. That's what it's all about. Um, what else prepares you? Certainly not grappling. Um, oh, God. What impressed me was that he never he never wavered. Like, he was always willing to commit to hitting the body as hard as he could. Um, in, like, deeper exchanges where, you know, in which Usman is not... We are not used to seeing Usman in tons of, you know, where he being particularly comfortable. He, he didn't take his eyes off Colby. He kept throwing. He wasn't cowed. I think some of that was, you know, just actual dislike of Colby Covington. I think some of it was, you know, maybe a bit of an emotional emotional surge. But I think some of it was also just, like I said, it was it was a smart game. It wasn't the one we were expecting. And it's hard for me to argue with the results. If you run that fight back again and you, you know, like I don't, I can't imagine picking Colby knowing how hard Usman was ripping to the body, knowing, you know, how he was still there in the end and how he eventually broke Colby down. Um, the horsepower was obviously on the side of Usman. Um, I thought, like, I actually was, I was quite impressed with, with Kamara Usman in that fight. Uh, and it did kind of, it was a loss that I think Covington has been asking for for a while. Um, it was a lesson that I think he's he's been needing to take as a fighter that you can't just sort of suck at kickboxing and just <laughs> throw a lot. Um, but yeah, 
like I'm I, I am very I was very happy to be wrong in that one. So yeah, I think like again, it didn't answer the questions that I wanted from that fight, but and I think Kamaru Usman he fought uh, he fought a strategically bad fight well in a sense. Like, I think, for example, if you look at Colby Covington kind of getting torn up in the clinch by uh, RDA, and you look at Usman kind of daddying him there over the five rounds, then you're like, oh, yeah, Kamaru Usman should just clinch him, and then he'll just absolutely ruin him. And he didn't do that. He fought in open space, and on paper, that's a bad way to fight it, but he fought that well. And, yeah, I think moving forward, it's like, if Usman can fight a fight like that and still win, what path does Colby Covington have? And I can't, right. I can't see one at all. I am hesitant to call it a bad strategy. Like, I think it maybe is a an uncommon strategy. It's not the strategy I think we expected him to take, but I'm I'm hesitant to call it a bad one um, because of how how well he committed to it and how, you know, just how thoughtful he was in hitting the body. Um, and so I, I walked away, like, thinking, well, if there's another fighter who, you know, Colby wasn't really threatened by Usman's wrestling, but if there's a fighter who is, and now we're seeing a more focused and, you know, hard-nosed Usman on the feet, that's a scary combination. Like, if if he can, you know, if, if Usman could make someone like Leon, or I guess Gilbert Burns, as it is now, <laughs> um, feel threatened by the takedown, that can open up his striking, which... You know, again, not technically standard, not really technically flawless by any means, but but potent and thoughtful. Uh, so I I walked away, I walked away impressed by Usman, and I was very happy to be wrong because if Colby won the title, he would have been insufferable. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that, including the Colby being insufferable part. Yep. Um, so we can move on to what is probably the only unjustifiable pick today, which is an example of how sometimes you just have to pick with your heart, and that turns out horribly, horribly wrong. This is, of course, the UFC 242 main event, uh, Dustin Poirier and Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't oh know what boy. I was thinking. Oh, was I thinking? I, I don't think I was thinking. Oh, man. I didn't want to talk. I didn't think this was the one you were going to pick. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to go for, like, RDA Usman and I was like well I understand like RDA probably deserved the win over Colby and like you love him I get it like <laughs> that is also one that is one I did, that I did not want to talk about but <laughs> sorry I'm just this selling also, you out now <laughs> uh, this is also one that I didn't want to talk about we, we all have days like this um but yeah I think I bought too hard into Dustin Poirier's evolution like mentally because, I mean, I think going into it, we were like, oh, yeah, Dustin Poirier, he has roots in this fight, right? He has to pressure hard. He has to force the exchanges. He has to, I mean, not give up takedowns. It's kind of uh, reductive. It's like a tautology against Khabib. But it's one where, like, yeah, keep it in open space. <laughs> keep it in open space. You'll be fine. And Dustin just came in and dedicated himself to not doing any of that. So, um, yeah, as I said, horribly, horribly wrong. Um. Yeah, I this was a, this was a tough one because and this is just something that I've kind of we may just kind of have to grapple with in dealing with lightweight is that there just aren't that many fighters who are who really resemble Khabib at lightweight. You know, there aren't a lot of of 
you know, powerful wrestlers who are going to walk you, you know, walk in a straight line, walk you to the cage, take you down, and then just maul you. Like, that's a... That isn't a particularly common thing at lightweight. It is kind of amazing how far wrestling has gone at 155. When it's considered such a deep division, like, you know, and when I, I think, like, well, God, I, I think Khabib would probably struggle a lot at a division like 170, but, you know, 155 just fits like a glove. Um, I, yeah, I, I obviously really wanted Dustin to win. I think the biggest thing was like, again, it just, there wasn't anything in his fights with, with Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje, brilliant as they were, or Eddie Alvarez or, you know, Anthony Pettis. There wasn't anything that was particularly reflective of a Khabib. Nothing was particularly instructive, if that makes sense. Yeah, like in just retrospect, because, at least. Yeah, like I mean the Poirier Holloway is brilliant. Everybody knows our thoughts on that fight. But just because you beat Max Holloway over five rounds doesn't mean that I think you're ready for a completely different fighter in Khabib, right? Yeah. Um I remember I think I honestly I really wanted to pick Poirier, but I remember that fight also taught me a lot about fight analysis. Even though I, I guess I picked it right, I wasn't. It was more just like I, I just sort of couldn't couldn't have a ton of faith in someone who we hadn't seen enough of their defensive wrestling to really know. Um, and the, but the thing is, it wasn't just like it wasn't just that. It was the fact that Poirier looked like a technically worse version of himself in that fight. Like yeah. he, you know, he was doing weird stuff. He was throwing big, massive combinations from like way outside, and he wasn't. He was getting in way over his feet. He wasn't fainting. He wasn't like trying to sort of set expectations on Khabib and then break him. He wasn't jabbing. And he looked like a parody of himself. He looked like himself from like featherweight you know he looked like a like just a much worse version of the fighter that we've we've come to know and not only is that scary in terms of like how do we pick his fights going forward but like it was it was it also seemed to exhaust him like i think it was conor rebus who pointed it out like he had that kind of flurry on Khabib in the second round, which, I, you know, was his slim window. If he was going to win that fight, that was going to be it. It was clear he was never going to take Khabib apart. It was going to be in a, you know, just kind of an exchange where Khabib just gets caught. Um, but, like, even when he had him hurt, he was, like, winging these shots. And I was like, like, what are you doing? This isn't... This is not the guy who was, you know counterpunching Max Holloway and like you know not the guy who was actually able to be backed up and you know without losing his head against you know such a, a serious volume puncher like that's this is, barely looks like the same person at all he was hardly recognizable and after that I think he like I think he was just exhausted and cardio was not something that was in question 
right? Yeah. Like that was something that we actually was kind of we're kind of banking on. We're like, well, maybe, maybe he can't. Like, if he can at least make it, you know, make Khabib work for a bit. Maybe he has the gas tank to go late. I don't know. Like, I, that's a possibility. But there is that is that fight taught me something both about like the threat of a takedown. It taught me about ATT's preparation, but it also taught <laughs> me about like cardio in MMA, you know, for MMA terms, because like I said, just because you have, you have the cardio to, you know, to go five rounds with Max Holloway in one of the highest paced and most violent fights we've ever seen, that was still a Dustin Poirier type fight, right? Like that was still the kind of fight in which Poirier is comfortable and He's at least seeing strikes that he's seen before, and he's taking punches that he's taken before. Khabib completely threw him into a different world. Like it was a, it it looked like a fighter who was just completely unprepared for the opponent they were facing. And like, uh, even even getting it wrong, I still don't like. I don't think a lot of people, even the people who were picking Khabib, weren't picking it to the, the fight to look quite like that. It was a really strange one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we kind of have to watch out with with the Gaethje picks too, which is, I mean, I think Gaethje kind of has that too dumb to fail type of mentality sometimes, and where Poirier kind of like outthought himself, if that makes sense. Like, you know, he's a wrestler who wants to pressure better outfight. Like, you don't get to that point without thinking too much. But I think it's just his – there was a point in the second round with that flurry where he started pressuring hard and Khabib didn't really shoot on him. And I think that kind of explains why I thought what I thought. I just don't think it's justifiable at all in retrospect when Poirier didn't really have that idea past that one flurry. And it wasn't even like a game plan. It was just I am flurrying because I am desperate and Khabib's not shooting, but you know, I still have to like stop flurrying at some point. I can't just pressure. And I think it's something yeah. that Ed Gallo pointed out before that the corner work for Poirier was all screwed up with like his coaches giving contradictory advice. And like, it was, it was just, it was messed up. And Poirier, I don't, even if he looked like he normally does, I wouldn't give him too much of a shot uh, in that fight, but the way he showed up, it was just, it was awful. Yeah. I think we expected more like that's, that's the sort of the funniest thing was like well funny not haha funny but like amusing sad um, funny yeah like it can interesting to consider funny after the fight Poirier had weird comments on the fight did you hear him he was like no, he wasn't he wasn't saying he didn't say like and again I think the heavy hands guys pointed this out but like they had a good point that Poirier wasn't saying like Oh yeah, we had a completely different game plan. That didn't go at all as we expected. He was saying like, I should have pulled like I should have pulled full guard on that guillotine. Like I should have, <laughs> like, to the point where like the disconnect was just at that was as big a disconnect as anything that I've seen in MMA in in recent years. Like, it just never of, had the right idea. Yeah, clearly. There is no better way to say it. They never had the right idea. Um, And again, I don't think you can... (laughs) I can't fault you for picking that the way you did because I just... Like, I don't even think... 
the, yeah, clearly his camp didn't even have a clue what was going on. Like, they never, ever had the right idea to, to handle Khabib. And so, so that's a, you know, that was a bummer. But I also, like, yeah. I also don't know how many people, I, I don't know how many people were expecting it to look quite like that. It was kind of, uh, I, I know Khabib, a lot, I mean, obviously it came from Khabib. It was, it was because of the things that Khabib did. But I also know that Poirier can, it, he is a better fighter than that fight demonstrated. Um, yeah. I mean, I half expect it to be wrong. I didn't expect it to be that wrong. Yeah, no, I don't. I didn't either. Um, well, I think for our last little bit here that I want to talk about um, is a recent pick that Serum and I both agreed on. We had the same pick. And we were correct, but we didn't exactly read the fight right. Um, we were very much in Justin Gaethje's corner before the Tony Ferguson fight. And uh, we were right. And I'm still happy that we were right, because we were banging this drum long before like the fight happened. Even back to like when Gaethje fought Barboza, I think you and I were both talking about, like, yeah, I think that'd probably be a bad night for Tony. Yep. Especially, yeah, especially after Tony's sort of ugly fight with uh, Cerrone and so forth. All that kind of stuff. We were on the same page with this one for a long time. And we it ended up being right, but I did not really see it going the way that it did. Like, I was a little worried that if, if Gaethje was going to fight Tony on the outside there would be more of an opportunity for Tony to actually get his volume rolling and set up his, like, snap kicks, which Gaethje had a little bit of trouble with against James Vick, of all people, uh, that there was going to be a, you know, uh, he would have a, a greater chance of getting stranded behind the jab. Um, we were, we picked Gaethje by stoppage, and that was right. But I don't know about you, I was sweating bullets during that fight. I mean, it was like, for me, it was like halfway through round two, where I was like, oh man, Gaethje might find a way to lose this. Yeah. And he was like whiffing hard on left hooks, and there was that uppercut. Uh, yep. It was, yeah, it was stressful all the way until like end of round three, where I was like, oh yeah, Gaethje kind of has a handle on this again. But it yep. was, it was kind of nasty for a little bit. Um, And I bring it up because that is an example of... And I actually said this to my girlfriend when we were watching the fight because I was, the whole week I was talking about, God, I really want to put some money on Gaethje. Like, I really feel like this is a, like, I felt confident in, in picking him. Like, that was as confident as I've been in a while. And the odds were fucked. Like, yeah. Gaethje, the highest, Gaethje was upwards of, like, a plus 200 underdog. I saw somewhere that was, like, Gaethje by stoppage in the second was, like, plus 600 like they were the odds were cracked they made no sense and so the whole time i was like in the lead up to the fight the week of i was like oh man like i just i i just can't see it i like i, I just can't see tony winning this i don't see it and then he didn't knock him out in the first round he didn't knock him out in the second round and actually got hurt and i was starting to be like oh maybe, maybe it was a good thing i didn't bet on this fight um but then you're right. I think halfway through the third round, fourth round, it was it was clear that uh, Gaethje's 
you know, his power, his, his powerful counters prevented Tony from really getting, establishing a rhythm and kind of pushing a pace. But it's important because we were right and wrong in the same night. And I, we got the pick right, but it did not go at all how I thought it was going to. And so that is a lesson that you need to sort of learn as an analyst as well, is like, even if you pick a fight right, or if it goes to like a close decision, just because you score it a certain way, you sort of have to look at the whole fight and really evaluate like how much, like how much of this fight did I actually get correct? How much of this was I, did I hit the mark on? Um, and it, you know, and turns out for, for Gaethje, it was some of it, like some of it, we were absolutely right. The leg kicks were an issue. Uh, the fact that he was going to be walking into, you know, a counter right and check hook all night. Like there were, there were pieces there that we saw that were like, yeah, I don't really think Tony's ever shown much of an ability to deal <laughs> with this kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. What do you, what was your takeaway there? Am I am I just speaking out of my ass, or do you kind of do you kind of agree? Yeah, I agree. I think because I think a lot of us we looked at the Cerrone fight for uh, for Gaethje as we were like, well. Gaethje's just kind of toying with him, right? Like, there's no danger that Cerrone poses here. He could just walk him down and, like, mulch him. But he's not because he's having fun and this is his friend or whatever. But I think I didn't really expect it to be, like, the thing that he comes in against another elite opponent with. And I think that's what kind of screwed me up there. Because I expected Gaethje to come out like he did against Barbosa, right? Not quite the um, I-, I walk straight into you with a high guard type thing that he used to do. But some measure of pressure. And he didn't. He yep. He was confident that Tony would walk into his stuff squared up. He had specific responses prepared, but it still was a weird fight from that perspective. So, and the other weird thing, of course, with Tony Ferguson's absolutely freakish, godly durability that we've never seen before. God, that was the other thing, too, is I was like, I think Taylor bet on the fight. And in the live chat, Taylor was like, guys, I'm really stressed. Should I just cash out now? He's not going away. Um yeah, that was the, that was the other thing too. Is we're like, I just we watched the Cerrone fight. I watched the Cerrone fight the the with Tony, like you know Ferguson Cerrone. I watched it so many times because I was like, I I just can't see this guy beating Justin Gaethje. I'm like, I don't see it. I think he's too far gone. Um, and when he started taking Gaethje's biggest punches. And just kept taking them. I was like, I was like, oh shit, maybe, maybe we did fuck this up. <laughs> like, like maybe we did jinx it. Um, we, you know, we didn't. It ended up being, it ended up being too much. Uh, but that's. I just think it's an important one that. And like I said, I, I said it to, I said it to my girlfriend the night of. I was like, I can never be too confident. You really can't as an analyst like no matter how you know unless we have francis Ngannou fighting cyril asker <laughs> you just you can't be too confident in in mma uh and even if yeah. you're even if you're right you there's a chance that you could still there's still pieces that you don't account for there's still things that you don't expect um there's still elements that you just did not have a read on and that's just kind of the way it goes. Like that's just that's just the way it works for us. There's no, we can't. We're no one's going to be 100. percent Even the people who are the best at this are not 100. percent 
Um, we know because the site has them all. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Uh, subscribe to the fight site. Join the patron. Um, yeah, but, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any more? Do you have any other like either funny picks or like or picks oh. that we were you know we're kind of right or wrong about? I don't know. This is a fun topic. Yeah, I mean, I think my funniest pick was probably a Derek Lewis over Alexander Volkov because like I wasn't. I wasn't super confident about it. Did you it, really? I was like, yeah. At some point, I was like, oh, well, Volkov, yeah. like, he's the more quote-unquote technical fighter, but he's also kind of awful. And Lewis is awful, too, but at least he can yeah. punch. And, like, I got the vast majority of that fight completely wrong, and then I just got bailed out at the end anyway. It was brilliant. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> no, that's good. That's real good. I like that. I had a similar one with that when we were doing picks for uh, Rico Verhoeven versus Badrhari, too. And I remember just thinking that I just remember just kind of thinking that Rico was gonna shut him out a little bit, or just gonna be kind of boring because my expectations were on the floor for Badrhari <laughs> in 2019, and uh, he Badrhari ended up kind of beating Verhoeven up, and then broke his foot, oh <laughs> and God. so it was a TKO finish, um, and like Verhoeven won. And Glory continues to, you know, they get to continue promoting Verhoeven as this, like, world beater, which he's really kind of not. Um, I don't like watching him at all. <laughs> and he had this ugly-ass fight where he got dropped twice by Badrhari. And the only reason he walked away with the W on his record is because Badrhari's foot snapped. And then that was it. Um, there, there was less riding on that, but it was a funny one. Um yeah, so for those out there who make picks, which I'm guessing is like 98% of the people who listen to this, uh, just know you will never be as bad as picking RDA over Usman. For sure. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, F and chat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do it. It's uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pick I'll pick Benavidez over Figueredo in the rematch and we'll call it even. Let's um, not do that. <laughs> just for the fucking clout um yeah just for the the sake of our credibility one of us has to be wrong um all right that should do it on my end uh thank you guys for listening to the fight sites mma podcast you can follow me on twitter at dmarty 77 you can follow serum on twitter at serum m says uh check out all our stuff on the fight site serum do you have anything coming out this week uh, I don't think so. Might be uh, there's something on Michael Johnson coming up in the near future, but I don't know whether it's this week or next week. Speaking of weird picks, how about Michael Johnson versus Josh Emmett? Ooh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, when he fights when he fights Shane Burgos, we'll be able to talk about our favorite fighter in detail. Oh, um, yeah. You did have a piece just go up though. You wrote what, Damir Ismagulov. Yeah, he's the shit. Everyone should um, love Ismagulov. Lightweight fighter, uh, definitely check that out. I had, I think I promoted it last time, but I had a piece on Ilias Anahachi go up recently. I don't really have anything else in the works. Um, I guess I'll just have to look around and see if there's something I can write about. I am thinking about working on another metagame piece about uh, fixing flaws versus hiding flaws, and nice. uh, I might just write. Uh, defense about Yair Rodriguez. Who knows? Hmm. Um, that is going to do it for our podcast. Uh, and I think 
in the next coming weeks. There's actually some some decent stuff from the UFC, so we'll see if we can get a. Uh, we're trying to get Hacks Arise back on. We've talked to our good friend Trayvon Coker, um, Zach Makovsky. We have God, we have good guests, dude. We really do. The best, we're spoiled. The best in the business. Uh, yeah, I think that is going to do it. Everybody, thank you for joining us, and stay safe.